This audiobook of the original America Burning was produced by the Firefighter Podcast Combustible. More details on this project can be found online at www.combustiblethepodcast.com. The audio for this recording is consistent with all copyright rights and permissions associated with America Burning and is not affiliated with or endorsed in any way by the federal government or the U.S. Fire Administration. Chapter 8. The Hazards We Have Created The United States is an advanced nation technologically and is increasingly urban in character. Another way of saying this is that most Americans live in an environment of concentrated man-made objects. Their homes, which are generally close to neighboring homes and sometimes in the same building, are complexes of building materials, finishes, chemicals, paper, foodstuffs, and utility systems, all composed of objects processed by man. When the American breadwinner goes off to work in the morning, he may cross over a small patch of natural environment called a lawn, but when he arrives at the carport or the street corner, he enters a complex man-made environment, a car, a bus, or a subway. At work, whether it is a factory bench, an office desk, or a sales counter, he is usually among a concentration of people in a similarly complicated environment of man-made objects. And when the vacationing urbanite seeks escape from this man-made environment, the usual conveyance is a man-made enclosure, if not a car or bus, then a train or airplane. In this built environment, as it is called, Americans live side by side, day and night, with ignitable materials, combustible furniture and upholstery, and products and appliances which through wear or misuse may offer dangerous fire potential. Fumes from their gasoline, their paint thinner, or their cleaning fluid fill the atmosphere with combustion potential. The structures in which they live and work, through flaws in design and poor maintenance, often encourage entrapment rather than escape from fire. Few give these hazards any thought until a fire occurs. Available statistics give some idea, if not a complete picture, of where the hazards lie in the built environment. Certainly the vast majority, close to 95% of America's fire losses, both life and property, result from fires in the built environment. Fires in buildings, as opposed to vehicle fires, account for most of these losses. Of the nearly $2.7 billion in property losses sustained yearly, about 85 cents out of every dollar lost is attributable to a building fire. About two-thirds of the 12,000 deaths that occur annually result from building fires. What type of buildings are involved offer a key to where the emphasis should lie in the effort to reduce the nation's fire losses. Residences Of the nearly 1 million building fires that occurred in 1971, almost 7 out of 10 occurred in residential occupancies. The chances are that the average family will experience one fire every generation serious enough to have the fire department respond. Residential fires account for about half of all fire deaths and a third of all property losses. If the losses from non-building fires are excluded, residential fires account for about 87% of the deaths and 39% of these property losses. From the standpoint of life loss particularly, the structures in which Americans live must be the prime focus of the national effort to reduce fire losses. The experience of every urban fire department confirms what statistics only suggest that a disproportionate number of residential fires and fire deaths occur in low-income neighborhoods. It's not difficult to see why. Crowded conditions, dilapidated buildings, unsafe heaters, and the heavy use of alcohol all contribute to a higher incidence of fire and a heavier toll in injuries and deaths. The higher proportion of working mothers means more children are left unattended and, hence, more exposed to fire accidents. The ignorance among the poor about fire hazards is matched by the indifference or inability of landlords to get rid of the hazards.
But as every urban firefighter can attest, fire does not victimize the poor only. There is no ground for complacency about residential fires among more affluent citizens. There, too, ignorance breeds indifference. No less than in a slum, a single spark can set off a chain of events that guts a mansion and kills its inhabitants. Fire, like sin, knows no class distinctions. Commercial and Industrial Fires While commercial occupancies make up about 14% of all building fires, they result in 25% of the nation's property loss in building fires. Likewise, industrial fires are only about 16% of all building fires, but account for 36% of the building property loss. Together, industrial and commercial fires account for 13% of deaths in building fires. Major Fires The National Fire Protection Association defines as a major fire one in which three or more die, or one in which property losses are $250,000 or greater. Some fires, of course, meet both criteria. In 1971, there were 208 fires in which three or more persons died, but together these fires accounted for 8% of the fire deaths that occurred during that year. In 8 out of 10 cases, these major fires occurred in residences. In many instances, late detection of the residential fires contributed to the heavy losses in lives and property, as indicated by the fact that about 80% of the multiple death fires occurred between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. when most people are asleep, as compared with the 20% that occurred between 6 a.m. and 11 p.m. when people are active. Those fires producing major property losses were also a tiny fraction of total fires, 0.02%, but they accounted for 11% of the dollar losses in 1971. In all these cases, the building was not sprinklered in the area where the fire originated. Causes and Remedies It appears that considerably more than half the nation's fires are caused by the careless actions of man. The rest have environmental causes, such as hazardous products, defects in the home, and lightning. A more detailed analysis of the causes of building fires is provided annually by the National Fire Protection Association. See Table 8-2. These are approximations only, based on experience in typical states. As for the causes of fire-related deaths, data from Canada, there are no comparable U.S. statistics, attribute 71% of deaths to man's actions, 9% to products or processes, and 20% to defects in buildings. The consequences of fire depend, however, not only on how it starts, but on what happens after ignition. Human beings can intervene to lessen the consequences of a fire caused by a defective product. Products can be designed to lessen the consequences of human carelessness, as, for example, with matches and cigarettes. And whatever the cause of a fire, buildings can be designed and maintained to ease fire suppression and the evacuation of potential fire victims. The consequences of fire, in short, depend on man-environment interactions. We have already addressed the issue of what fire departments can do to reduce fire losses. In Chapter 20, we discuss what citizens can do to reduce fire losses. In this and the next four chapters, our concern is not with the human factors, but with ways of altering the built environment to reduce fire hazards through changes in fire-safe technology, materials characteristics, building design and construction, and code regulation and enforcement. The Environment as a Security Blanket Before turning to environmental factors alone, it is appropriate to consider one aspect of the man-environment interaction that tends to be overlooked. The ways in which man acts upon the environment to cause fire come readily to mind. What is not so obvious is that the built environment influences the behavior of man in a way that aggravates the fire problem.
The modern urban environment imparts to people a false sense of security about fire. Crime may stalk the city streets, but certainly not fire in most people's view. In part, this sense of security rests on the fact that there have been no major conflagrations in American cities in more than half a century. In part, the newness of so many buildings conveys the feeling that they are invulnerable to attack by fire. Those who think only of a building's basic structure, not its contents, are satisfied mistakenly that the materials, concrete, steel, glass, aluminum, are indestructible by fire. Further, Americans tend to take for granted that those who design their products, in this case buildings, always do so with adequate attention to their safety. That assumption, too, is incorrect. Around the turn of the century, in the wake of many conflagrations, so-called fireproof buildings began to be constructed. They had thick walls and floors to keep fire from spreading. Like older buildings, they still had windows that could be opened to allow heat and smoke to escape. They had fire escapes or internal fire stairs, and seldom were they too tall for the topmost occupants to escape. Fires, some of them disastrous, occurred in these buildings nonetheless. Then, after World War II, a new generation of buildings began to appear, the modern high-rise building. Lighter construction systems and many new materials were used, especially for interiors. Windows were permanently sealed so that central air conditioning would operate efficiently. Walls and floors were left with openings for air conditioning ducts and utility cables. Each of these features compromised the fire safety of these buildings. The built environment was created to serve the needs of people. When a portion of that environment goes up in smoke, those needs are not being served. How the hazards in the built environment can be reduced is the subject to which we now turn.